Hello and welcome to this, the 45th episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And it's another exciting week for us here at Rise. Productions because uh, preparations are continuing and ongoing for this uh, ongoing tour of Fight Night that we're currently in the middle of. Obviously we've had those Irish dates and the Electric Picnic gig in the last couple of weeks and we are now full steam ahead getting ready in prep for the Finland run at the end of this month which we're massively excited about but by Jesus the training regime is the toughest it's ever been. I mean it's coming up on uh, the second anniversary of Fight Night. Uh, Tomorrow, Friday the 14th, um, will be two years to the day since uh, Fight Night was unleashed on an unsuspecting Dublin pub at the Fringe Festival um, and so here we are two years later getting ready to go at it again continuing the international run with you know Mike Sheehan doing it back in Glasgow uh, at the start of this year uh, and it's lovely to be doing it but Jesus the training regime is full on I've never dieted as hard I've never trained as hard it's the real deal we're going to have uh, a pretty a pretty solidly put together Dan Coyle Jr. by the time this show rolls back into Dublin and of course to say again I mean this will be the farewell tour I know I sound a bit like Phil Collins saying that or something but genuinely this will be the last chance to, to catch fight night in Dublin and we're going to do this run at the Viking Theatre and uh, at Theatre Upstairs at Lanigan's and then uh, that will be the end of it there may well be a bit more international touring uh, in coming months and years but uh, there won't be any more Dublin runs because I don't know that my body will hold up for doing it too much longer Uh, there's only so long you can keep uh, this level of fitness up and uh, I just like red wine too much so we'll see how that works out but um, also another exciting uh, development for me personally is looking around at all the amazing stuff that's on at the Fringe Festival at the moment there was one show that was really standing out for me as uh, as one of the most interesting of the festival and brilliantly we have been able to pull it off with a little bit of negotiating and I'm now actually able to be involved in it and it's uh, Mass from Duncan Malloy and the LSA which uh, is playing every Sunday through the festival uh, and it's just such an interesting concept I remember talking to Duncan about it uh, quite a while ago uh, and just being so intrigued with the, the concept and the premise of it uh, so just really really delighted to be able to be part of it so uh, do please come down and check us out uh, in the Fringe if you're looking for something to do on a Sunday particularly if you're playing in the fringe and Sunday's your day off uh, we are playing at Powers Court Theatre uh, and we're playing at 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock this Sunday and then it'll be a whole new show the following Sunday uh, at 3 and 5 o'clock again um, so I think that's one that's going to be well worth checking out if you want to come down and see me work my magic and see Duncan work his magic and the rest of the gang that's going to be involved there really it's uh, in terms of the writers contributors performers it is an absolute who's who kind of and me but uh, it really is a who's who there it's, uh, it's incredible definitely worth getting down there to check that out so look as ever we are bringing this to you free of charge because we have no business sense whatsoever but we've promised that we'll never ever charge for these although we are looking for you to put your money back into Irish theatre whole ethos behind this podcast is to support promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre and as I've been telling you every week for the last 45 the easiest way to go and support is to go and buy yourself some tickets Um, go out there see maybe sample something in the fringe that's going on at the moment go and get to see something that's in your local area around the country come down and see us do mass with the LSA Powers Court on Sunday 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock you know just go out there put your money back into Irish theatre if and we understand this might be the case times are a little bit tight and uh, ticket prices might be a bit beyond you go and look at one of the crowdsourcing websites like fundit.ie and see is there a theatre company running a campaign over there donations over there start from as low as a fiver and there are always great rewards there are of course as ever a million ways you can support without having even to put your hand in your pocket go and tell people about this podcast ring someone email them put it up on Facebook, put it up on Twitter. Go and subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes, which does a huge amount to help our chart position. Go back and listen to all our other episodes, boost up people like Peter Daly in the charts because it makes them feel more of a man. Uh, Leave us a review on iTunes if you can. That's a hugely beneficial thing for us. And, uh, you know, it's lovely to see all the reviews over there and people are really engaging with it and enjoying the show. But it's really interesting to see that the reviews, um, okay, there's the reviews on the Irish iTunes page, but if you go onto any of the American ones or the UK ones, there's almost as many reviews from the States and from the UK and from around the world as there are from Ireland which blows my mind I have to say but it's a beautiful thing let's keep the machine going get over there review us or simply click to rate us on their five star system you can of course as ever follow us on Facebook we are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland or you can follow us on Twitter we are at 
Rise Ireland. So that brings us to this week's guest. And look, it's this time of the year. We couldn't have anyone else on. It is the magnificent Rosha Gowen, uh, who is doing such a phenomenal job uh, in charge of the Fringe Festival. Uh, so many new initiatives there, such a great program each year. And, you know, it's not overstating it to say that without Russia and uh, and her support with the Fringe and obviously with Fish Amble and ITI, in particular Gavin Costick, um, the Show in a Bag project wouldn't have existed. And I'm telling you, if Show in a Bag didn't exist, Rise Productions would wouldn't exist, Fight Night wouldn't exist, and you can be damn sure this podcast wouldn't be playing down your ears as we speak. I owe a huge amount personally to Russia and the support that she's given me and the company over the last couple of years. Uh, like I say, it's been two years now since we kicked off the Fringe, but for the months and months in advance of that, uh, throughout all the prep for the, for the original run of Fight Night, the support we got from the Fringe was incredible. Russia is an amazing character, uh, and I think she's brilliant. So look, let's get straight into it. Here she is, the wonderful Ms. Russia Gowen. <laughs> The wonderful Russia Gowen. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This makes me very happy indeed. I'm slightly nervous but excited at the Don't same time. Don't you worry, this is great. This will all be wonderful. Uh, let us go back, as we do every week, to the very beginning. <laughs> at what stage did a career in theatre seem like something for you? Um, I was very fortunate when I was um, 10 years of age and um, very shy and um, a bit nervous in myself to... Uh, be dragged along to an audition for a show that was happening in Project Art Centre, which was being directed by Ray Yates, um, called Fabrega. And um, I was, I think it was because it was a bilingual show and, uh, and one of the people who was working on it was working with my dad in RTE and they were kind of looking for 10, 11 year old kids to be in this show and I ended up being cast. And that's kind of where my love affair with the theatre began. It was kind of a mad, crazy experience it was this very experimental uh, play by Antonio Flarda which had uh, long sequences of monologue kind of text for the children in it I was one of the children in it where we would speak it was very like early 90s so right. we were uh, it was 1991 so we would um, speak litanies of um, Japanese product names like you know Futoshi <laughs> Mitsubishi um, and that was interspersed between these scenes it was basically about these kind of this group of, of friends looking back to a kind of really important summer in the Gulf that they'd spent together and whether or not they saw a ghost. Um, I didn't really understand it at the time. Um, but uh, So I did that and I loved it and like it was great crack and I didn't really understand it but I, was, I kind of caught the bug and from there my family are a very artistic family but not a, a theatre family at all. My mother is a musician and... Uh, my dad works in broadcasting, but then also be heavily involved in, in music and folklore. Um, so they kind of thought it was really weird that I wanted to do theatre stuff when like, I had the most amazing music teachers in the world, had zero interest really, <laughs> um, but wanted to do drama. So um, after years of begging them, they let me go to um, classes in the Gage School of Acting. And then we moved to Galway when I was a teenager. So that was a huge thing because Galway in the mid 90s was like the most exciting place if you wanted to Absolutely. do art stuff. So I was in GYT um, and I was in Ashriogan and Thaivyarka. Um, and I did at one stage myself and Kate McEnany, a very good friend yeah. of mine, who were, we were in school together. I remember there was one week when we were, I think, in transition or maybe we were in fifth year in school. And we were both, we were doing a show with GYT. We were also doing a project in the first Babro Festival, which is like kind of a like multi arts project for transition transition year fifth year students. Anyway, we were doing both of those things. We were also at, um, acting in in Rosnaroon, and we were doing something else. I think maybe there was a school play, and like it was hilarious where there was like taxis picking us up to go places, and it was all very glamorous and exciting. That's awesome. That must be incredible. As a teenager, yes, clearly I am a celebrity. I can do whatever I want. That must have been amazing. Feeling. Yeah, or just like I'm so busy and important. Wow. <laughs> How seismic a shift was it to that move out west? At that, because you know, it kind of you hear about people moving at the kind of teenage years, yeah. like all drama and stops and yeah. whatever else. What was that like for you and was that avenue through the arts a useful way to kind of settle in down there? Um, I think it was really, I think it was a really crucial thing in um, in like my personal development and also in terms of like my, my way into a career in the arts because um, yeah, when I was moving to Galway, I mean, when you're, when you go to school in the, in South County Dublin and um, then you move to, to Connemara, yeah. it's literally like, I remember my lovely classmates from school wrote me this book. There was like a diary and, and everybody had put a picture of themselves and written me a letter in it. 
And um, like I literally thought my life was over. And they'd all, like every page was like, we're so sorry that you're going to Bogland. You know, we hope you survive. <laughs> um, and I was just terrified. So I, you know, we moved to Connemara looking at, it was the most awful summer that summer. Like it rained all the time. I didn't know anyone. And um, I decided, even though I was like really quite a good girl, decided that I would take up smoking on the beach. Very good idea. <laughs> um, and, and like be melancholic and write really bad poetry um, <laughs> for myself, which I subsequently burned. Um, but then anyway, I, so yeah, getting, like I remember my mother marched me into Galway Youth Theatre and was like, let her in, please, please God, something here. Okay. let her in. But they, they wouldn't let me in because I was 10 days too young. So that's how I ended up in, in Ashley Oga and the wow. for a year, which was actually way more exciting. Like, Goa Theatre was amazing once it actually happened, but yeah. Astro Yoga was kind of, like, if you went in, you were just part of the company. Sean O'Tharpy was running it at the time. Right. It was really exciting. So we just used to, ha- I used to go to sc- there after school and just hang out in the green room. It was great crack. Um, and so that was really, like, Galway in that, at that time in, in the mid-90s was so exciting. Like, Druid were winning Tonys and... Um, you know, and Machinus were doing amazing yeah. things going on the, around the world with you too, and um, and the arts festival was brilliant, and um, obviously Tina G was starting up, so course, that was yeah. and that was the reason we had moved there. So like it was it was a really really exciting time, and then when we moved in, we we only survived in Connemara for about a year and a half. So when we moved into town again, then it was just it was so brilliant. There was always something to do. There was always amazing gigs on, and um, because you were living, I suppose because we had come from Dublin, my parents kind of thought we were in a village which we kind of were so I remember it like an incredible freedom where you know because we were 10 minutes walk from the centre of town like you were kind of let off to do whatever you know and um, it was really exciting time man I think that's my absolute dream would have been to be knocking around Galway in my yeah. teenage years in the mid 90s right. I mean I spent an awful lot of summers down there but wow yeah. that must have been absolutely incredible yeah. so talk to me then about the evolution from that and sampling like you say so many different things and when at GYT mm. and you know the Ross and whatever what was the route for you? Because was there even a transition time before coming down to Trinity or was Trinity the first next um, step? Well, I went, actually, I went to li- live in, um, I went to, I kind of, at that stage, I, I wanted to be an actor. Like, yeah. I really wanted to be an actor, um, which now, I, yeah, just seems like a mad thing. <laughs> um, so I went to, I went to live in Italy for a year to be an au pair. Right. And while I was there, I was very bored. And um, I, after a certain kind of few months, I became quite bored. And this weird opportunity came along to write um, a test script for Russ Naroon, which I kind of knew quite well and I had worked on it um, before. And so I did that. And that became then, on, on my way to Trinity, became a thing I started doing on the side. So while completely immersing myself in, um, in college, I kind of had this side job, which came in very handy because of the amount of drinking that was done in college, and um, where I was kind of writing scripts for us in room. So th- I kind of kept that connection with Galway, I suppose, which kind of culminated in me writing a TV series called Afric, which was kind of about the time that I had grown up. Like it was yeah. about my teenage years in Galway a little bit. Um, although it was, I was one of a team of writers, but it kind of started from um, some stories that I had told. Um, Tyg, who was who's the series creator of that, really? um, about that time, yeah. So, but but throughout college, then I kind of I kind of lost that. I, I it was re- it's really weird when you've grown up somewhere that's so important to you in your life, and then when your parents leave it as well, because my parents left Galway, sure. they moved back to Dublin. So then you kind of it feels like home, and you don't have a home there anymore. So right, it kind okay. of feels really kind of weird, and like you drive past your house, and it's not your house yeah. anymore, and. You, you know, you should be a grown-up now and you shouldn't care about these kind of things and you kind of want to have a teenage tantrum about the fact that you can't go in and make cup tea in your own house. Um, but uh, so I had an amazing time in Trinity over four years, which is a little bit of a blur, to be honest. Right. Um, um, during which time I start, kind of went from, from being somebody who really wanted to be an actor to somebody who then kind of wanted to be a director and started doing a bit of producing and then on the side of that I was I was writing for Russ and Rune primarily um, and um, it was really by accident then that I kind of started producing straight after college. Sure. Well talk to me a bit about the decision to go for what was I mean the, the straight up drama course of Trinity if the intention at, at that time mm. of starting off was possibly looking at being an actor that there was a choice not to do 
the either the acting course at Trinity or the gaiety or either yeah. the radas or I think it was I think my parents kind of talked me out of it and I'm kind of glad they did. Yeah. I think they were kind of like, well, go and do your BA first and then if you, you know, you can always go and train after that. Sure. Um, and I think as well, it was like, I didn't even do an audition for, like I had this idea I was going to Trinity anyway. Right, okay. Like that's what I wanted to do. Sure. And I think I also ran, it was just as well because I think I ran a bit scared. Like when it came to it, I didn't, I didn't do the audition for BAS because I think I was afraid I wouldn't get it. Right, okay. You know, um, which I wouldn't have. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so I went in and did the BA and that's kind of where my focus was. And for me, it was like about, you know, it was four years. I also kind of had copped on by that stage that if you did the BAS, I think somebody had told me that there was far less time to go drinking. That's very true. And there was far less time, was far less time to do actual plays, yeah. you know, to actually be involved and be involved in players and all of that. And that was kind of the college experience I really wanted. Well, so. Yeah, and that was the kind of the weird thing for us was that we never got to be part of mm. players, never got to be part of any of that real kind of college experience yeah. which is I know certainly from talking to any of the rest of the gang that have gone through it that it's kind of an odd thing that to have gone through the whole drama department of yeah, Trinity and not without actually, having had that experience is kind yeah. of because you do I think that's the, the, the really good thing about um, and, and I think it's why I, I would like encourage anybody now who, who like sometimes you know you've like friends of friends who go oh there's this teenager and they're th- they want to go and do actor training and like when you talk to them and it's like well I don't know if I have any useful experience but the thing I would say is actually those that kind of formative experience in players was had as much as most people I think who work in the theatre are either involved in they're it probably involved in youth theatres in some way or college drama societies yeah. and it's that way where you figure out actually what you want to do and what you're good at you yeah. know so I did everything from I was a horrific set designer um, I know I'm really I bad at. <laughs> no, I'm really bad at. I'm really bad at operating lights and sound. Like, okay. don't ask me to do that. And um, I was kind of again with stage management. I was okay, but I would get not very good in a tech scenario at all. Okay. Really, I am. And like, and when I'm calling a show, I do way too loud, and then the entire <laughs> audience can hear it. So now I wasn't going to be a stage manager. Um, and then I kind of st- directing kind of became my passion then in college, but. But I had this constant pull between knowing that I was probably a better producer than a director. And, right. um, and that was something I kind of grappled with for the years, a couple sure. of years after I finished college. So then, well, okay, also, I know that time at Trinity was formative in that you bumped into an awful lot of people who became very influential in your career. Mm. And that there would have been, you know, people like Wayne and stuff knocking around mm. at that time. Uh, how, for, uh, how important then was the time at Trinity in what was to become Randolph SD and when did Randolph SD come about? Um, yeah, it was really exciting and I think it's interesting that a whole bunch of us who were in college around that time are still kind of working um, in the theatre and that, that kind of goes in waves. So people who would have been in my year would be like a lot of people are still very good friends and also people I work with. So it, in uh, two years above me in college was Wayne and Jessica, who's now uh, working with, with me at the Fringe, which is a brilliant thing. And um, Glenn Montgomery, um, Rebecca Daly was actually who's a filmmaker is, was three years ahead of me in, in college um, but they kind of we they, they was kind of a gang then in my own year there would have been um, or the year above me sorry there would have been Kean O'Brien uh, Connor Hanratty Natalie Radmel quirk as some of my kind of and Matt Torney uh, yeah. as good friends and people I still kind of work with and then in my own year Louise White Kate McEnany Kevin Smith Sinead Wallace in fact, our players committee when we were when we were on the committee was myself. Kian was the chair. Yes. I was the secretary. Uh, Kevin was the Kevin Smith was the tech manager. Sinead Wallace was the fire and safety officer. Um, Shane O'Brien from um, Dead Cat Bounce was the post. No, he was he was house manager. Um, Mick Cullinan was the was the publicity officer. Um, uh, and and there was who um Joe Hill was the treasurer. There there was a few people who kind of don't work so much in sure. in, in theatre anymore. But like we were all kind of. It is it is it's amazing that those kind of waves happen every so mm. often. And I don't know how or what. I mean, look, you look at the gang that I came through Trinity with. That you know, Ruth Negan was there, mm. Aaron Martin was there, and Judith Roddy and Lisa mm-hmm. Lang. Like just for whatever reason. Like yeah, they go. And then, it's a strange thing. Yeah, but the same then in in the couple of years below us, like as well with people like Maisie Lee and Sophie Motley and um, and like lots of of brilliant uh, directors and um, and actors and writers and producers and yeah. types. But the the big thing I suppose that would have happened there was was that myself, Wayne, um, Natalie, Jessica, 
Louise and um, Sinead would have kind of, and Matt would have been working together on quite a few projects. Sure. And I actually didn't work on the first, um, the first Randolph SD show, which was a Randolph Scott Dances show, was actually while I was still in college, it was after third year, it was in the Fringe in 2003. And that was, um, I was working for the Dublin Theatre Festival that year. So I was kind of involved sure. in a healthy outy kind of way, but right. not in a, not kind of from the conception of the piece. And that show was called Utopia. Um, and then after that, I produced the, f- the next show that Randolph SD did, which was the following summer, straight after I had, uh, had, had just finished my exams, my fourth year exams in Trinity. And talk to me about the impulse behind Randolph SD and what you guys were trying to do with it. Was it about... And finding an avenue to create the kind of work that you guys really wanted to make but that you didn't see being made elsewhere was it purely mm. a thing of look let's go and create a platform for ourselves to show off what we can do in the hopes to jump on onto somewhere else what was it about um i think it was probably the way most like young artists start out a company it was very idealistic and you know obviously it was about it, it was about us trying to create really good work yeah. um and and you know, and and tr- I think the idea what was at that time was you know that we would be a company that would work together forever <laughs> in a really kind of romantic way, and that we would all kind of work other places as well. But that you know it was about, um, like friendship and sure. um, respect and and the fact that we all really enjoyed working with each other. And um, so I kind of originally, I mean, really the company was all centered around around Wayne's vision, um, right. which and 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 our kind of initial thing was about making old plays new and new plays old um, and uh, yeah I mean so we just we, we were very prolific in our first couple of years yeah. not as prolific as as the companies who I would be presenting now um, but <laughs> yes, I think indeed. then as well like there was a weird thing that happened around that time of like 2003 to 2007 where and people forget about this is like you know, we talk about like hardship now and it's not that there isn't hardship but I think if you're a young artist it's much easier to get funding now than it was then even you know we're talking about not even 10 years ago yeah. but um, there were no project awards between that time you know like you right. couldn't like between I think 2004 2005 and 2007 like you couldn't actually get a project award so the only ap- way avenue for us to for us to apply for money was through like this the annual funding form of the Arts Council, which of course we were never going to get. No. Um, but it became really, really difficult and frustrating. And if it hadn't been for the amazing support of, uh, of Willie White and uh, Neve O'Donnell and Project Arts Centre at that time, we wouldn't have made anything. My contention, and I don't know if I've said this publicly before, is that over the last decade mm. or so, Willie White has been the most influential person in Irish theatre, both through the kind of support to Project Catalyst participants, mm. Uh, you know, just even just his vision for Project Arts Centre, what a, an important venue that is. Do you, was that a, a, an opinion you might confirm? Yeah, absolutely. With? Um, and I think that I think Willie's encouragement um to me was massive, and not just in terms of um and you know, um also because yeah um <laughs> yeah I, and it, and it's difficult because like Willie wasn't you know hugging us all the time and telling us we were brilliant. In fact, quite often you know. He wasn't doing that, but actually through through he, through a kind of provocative and continued uh, engagement and discussion, and in a way he would kind of you only realised after he'd helped you that he'd helped you, you know, right. because um um at times you know we were all kind of clamouring for his attention and and and, um, and why can't I looking have for his upstairs <laughs> exactly <laughs> um and not understanding why we couldn't, but at that time I guess it's as well because really at that time I think um you know project arts center was the only place where where young artists could get support hopefully that's changed now and i think yeah. that the fringe is a large large part of that but um you know willie encouraged us as a company encouraged us as individuals was a huge um like mentor and and inspiration to me and i wouldn't be here if it wasn't i wouldn't be running the fringe if it wasn't for willie white i can like tell you that much well so. talk to me about taking on the fridge when did that happen for you and at what stage did you go actually this is something I might like to have a go at um, well it weirdly like I, I mean I had produced a couple of shows in the fringe and I directed a show in the fringe but I wasn't um, I wasn't like hugely engaged or connected with the festival um, I had been kind of from graduating in college in from finishing college in 2004 um, through to 2008 when I was appointed to the role I kind of was doing loads of different things so I was working with Randolph SD 
I worked for the ARC for a long time. I like I had a day job in the ARC and was producing. They were very, very good to me because I was producing a lot of work on the side <laughs> as well as that. And um, and then I, I left the ARC at the end of 2006 on a full-time basis. And then I did some kind of curatorial work for them. And I did um, some, I programmed um, um, a kind of a coming of age season which culminated in a show that I wrote and directed um, and then I um, and then Willie was really great in terms of helping me get a lot of freelance work and working sure. um, with him on the We Are Here festival and also um, working with other companies um, and so then I was kind of doing I had I had then um, been through this process of the next stage where I'd started a thing called Project Brand New let's, and this is really important so let, let's talk about the next stage because it seems mm-hmm. to me that anyone who's gone through it has said it's, it's proper life changing therapy yeah. in terms of because of being so intense and so focused that it I don't know, forces you to confront what you think about things and yeah well I, I I did that straight after so I'd been working primarily as a producer and then I kind of find like I think looking back now I was kind of obsessed with the idea that I was I, I, I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing and that I thought I was supposed to be a director and I was doing all this producing work and I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do um, and then I, I saw I made this show for the arc which I was kind of heartbroken by because I wasn't really happy with it Really? Um, and not that like the, the artists I worked with were amazing I worked with Megan and Jessica from Junk Ensemble yeah. and um, Stephen O'Rourke who's a brilliant actor and um, with incredible support from, from Weir Nahern and Inya in the arc on that project um, and you know when you've worked really you've worked really hard at something but actually you realise once it's on that you didn't work hard enough because you just weren't able because it's not the thing that you're supposed to be doing wow. and that you're so much better at other things or right. maybe um and so I kind of like had this really heartbreaking moment when I finished that and I'd already got my place on the next stage and um, that I was in a real kind of who am I and what am I supposed to be doing yeah. and moment and um, which I don't know if that's like a little bit like you know poor me with my little violin but anyway um, I so I did the next stage <laughs> but, but I did the next stage and I think there was a lot of people who were doing the next stage that year like everybody who was doing the next stage that year was in some at some kind of crossroads right. so like you had amazing people like Emma Jordan who who was just making this transition from being a producer having been an actor then become a producer and then was about to direct her first show um, and then you had um like Wayne having done this year of like assist of a year and a half of assisting at the Abbey and going into kind of preparing for his first show that he was going to direct there. Um, and somebody like Philly who just made a transition from being like an actor into somebody who started writing. Um, Louise Lowe contemplating leaving Roundabout Youth yeah. Theatre in, in Ballymun. Um, Jodie O'Neill making this transition from being a, 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 an actor to, into becoming a writer. D. Roycroft doing the same kind of thing. So there was loads of like really interesting people at this kind of crossroads. Um, and that was the first edition of The Next Stage. And I think it was really, like it, I think it was also the most full on program that they'd ever had, like, cause there was, there was no hour off at all across it. Um, and it was also the uh, 50th anniversary of the Dublin Theatre Festival. So it was that year of like the extra special program yeah um and also with extra special kind of events and you know so we were out all the time and I, there was a hilarious story afterwards where d d roycroft was at a um i'm gonna name and shame her now um was at a she went to see an arcade fire gig in um the phoenix park about a week after we finished the next stage and we had been winding down to such an extent that somebody in this pub that she was in before she went to the gig she was in this pub on Park Gate Street and somebody walked past her with a basket of um, sausage like like cocktail sausages <laughs> and she just picked one up out of the thing and uh, out of the basket and the guy goes what are you doing and she had just gotten so used to the fact that people would be offering you canapes and drink wherever you went um, this is the luxury of the Dublin Theatre Festival versus the glamorous surroundings you find yourself in in Dublin French I Festival right them. now um, so it was really really exciting time um, and the kind of big thread that came through in, in during our next stage was that <clears throat> people felt that there was nowhere where they could um, develop work in progress before they presented it. Yeah. That you know that there was always this: you had an idea, you got the money, or you didn't get the money, but that you would basically create a work over four weeks, 
and that was all the time you had sure. and it wasn't enough and that there should be a safe place where people could test ideas as they developed. So I kind of was really inspired by this and on the last day stood up in front of everyone like a sap and, um, and said, I'm going to do something about this and I hope you all come with me on this journey. Um, and it was from that I went again to Willie White and said, I've got this idea and I want to do a kind of a scratch nighty type of thing. Yeah. And it was originally supposed to be in the bar, but as the idea developed, we realised we needed kind of more space and a little bit of technical support. Um, and I, I, I kind of wrote some stuff up and I sent it around to the group who had been on the next stage and said, does anybody want to work with this on me with, with me on this? So um, <clears throat> very happily and luckily, Louise Lowe, Jodie O'Neill and Dee Roycroft came forward and said, yes, we'd like to work on this with you. Um, and, and from that, what Project Brand New was born. So, so that was a really exciting thing. And that was, I think, for me, an interesting way of realising like, that the next stage, what the next stage did for me was realise that actually there was something else I could be and, and, um, and finding that, finding, I suppose, an interest in being like a curator, really, or an, an artistic director, which is the kind of great halfway point between being a producer and a director yeah. was like maybe what I should try and do um, and that was really exciting that's amazing really good and obviously Project Brand New has been massively successful in terms of there's been Irish Times awards for it there's been mm -hmm. and just even just the work that has been trialled there that's gone on to yeah to you know to, to further you know stages as well it's, yeah. been, it's been an amazing resource for people it's been yeah. great so then look let's talk about the, the coming on board here at the French yeah. Festival then how wonderfully exciting and simultaneously terrifying was it? Because, I mean, you were, were you ridiculously young at the time? Um, I was 27. Which is pretty young. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was kind of like, I, I was in, I remember I was sitting in Willie White's office and we were talking about, I was working on a few different projects with him at the time and he said, oh, did you, you know, do you hear that Wolfgang is leaving? And I said, yeah. And he said, would you go for that? And I actually kind of, I, I, I think I looked at him with a, like a cop on Willie face. Like, what are you talking about? No way. And, um, and he said, no, you should, you should think about that. And so I kind of went away. And then, of course, you know, you begin to think about it and you begin to dream about it. And then you think, well, if Willie thinks that I might be able to go for it. Um, so then I, he, he then promptly came back to me and said, by the way, I'm on the interview panel for that. So we can't talk about it anymore. Right, okay. So he, he um, and he literally stopped talking yeah. to me about it. And, um, um, and so then I decided that I would in a kind of a, well, look, I'll throw my hat in the ring because nothing ventured, etc. Yeah. And of course, as soon as you start doing work, like when I remember when I was writing my letter, like becoming very kind of um, passionate about it and realizing, oh, I really, really like to do this. And, um, and then every time I kind of engaged with that process, the first interview and then the second interview, I, I really enjoyed it. Like I really enjoyed myself and I really enjoyed learning about the organisation from the other side. But I was still kind of shocked when I got a phone call from Una Carmody while I was in Cork producing a show that was in tech at that moment and <laughs> not able to tell anyone for about 48 hours. Wow. Um, but it was really exciting then. And of course, then you get the job and you arrive on day one and you haven't a clue. Yeah. Like you actually haven't a clue. Um, and you're utterly dependent on the wonderful people who are already there to kind of show you the way and to help you figure out what's going on so that you can figure out what you're going to change. What shocked or surprised you most in those first six weeks or a few months like what, um, what, what the, were the biggest surprises um uh i kind of i think it was because i started during the, during the fringe itself um i think the, the biggest thing the biggest shock was just i suppose how hard everyone worked um and um and how tirelessly they worked and how much passion there was um from all the people who worked for the festival um and, and also how kind of volatile a thing it is because you know when you're working on a festival you're planning all year round for something that happens within a 16 day period and you've no idea what the weather is going to be like like and the weather actually is like the weather weather is one of the biggest most challenging scary things for people who run festivals um, and then you've no idea you know if something crazy is going to happen in the news you know um like there are all these other factors um uh, because everything you're planning is in the future yes. very far into the future that you, you, you're trying to plan for and mitigate against 
but then it gets to it and um, with all your planning done you kind of take a deep breath cross your fingers and just hope for the best really because <laughs> it's you know yeah. it's happening then there's nothing you can do about it how far in ahead how far ahead in advance are you thinking all the time or even programming are you are, is it are you already have kind ideas of, for next year oh yeah I mean the ideas would kind of be emerging the ideas would be starting I'd say about 18 months to two years in advance but because you know because we're all funded on you on, on an annual basis in Ireland it's very very difficult yeah. to actually plan anything in any kind of solid way further yeah. than 12 months in advance and often because you're waiting your funding decisions will sometimes come in six months before the festival so really you know it's very difficult to plan the way you would like to I would love to be planning much much further in advance as I'm sure all of my colleagues would in the arts in Ireland unfortunately that's just not possible but I mean, at this stage, have you ideas that you have, there's a, an international group that you would love to have for Fringe 2014 or, or something like um, that? Y- mm, uh, less so actually in terms of shows, pr- shows, but more about like um, themes and ideas okay. and, um, um, and artists as opposed to specific projects. Sure. That makes sense. How awesome is your is the element of your job where you just get to go and see lots of really exciting theatre? I mean, are you still a theatre fan? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I'm also I pro also program dance and music and and kind of other stuff that defies categorization and and a little bit of visual art in the public realm. So you're constantly learning because yeah, I am a theatre person really at heart. But you kind of have to try and, and make room for other art forms and learn. And so there's constant kind of discovery. Like I'm still a complete novice when it comes to um, visual arts um, and also at times with music. Music is just so fast. Like there's so many, there's so much going on there. It's really hard to keep up with. But yeah, I'm still a huge theatre fan. I mean, I, I see like, I see probably between three and 400 shows a year, Jesus. you know, and then... Um, and that's in in Ireland and internationally. I mean, when I say that, like about seventy of those happen during the fringe, yeah, you know. Okay. So but even still. Yeah, so that's kind of. But it keeps you. It keeps you fresh, and it, it's interesting. I mean, sometimes the funny things that happen are that, like, um, you go and see a show and you realize you've seen it before, which is can be sometimes can be a real treat because you sit down the last and you're like, this is really familiar, and and there's sometimes you go, oh yes, I saw this in such and such place in Germany a year and a half ago and then other times the lights go down and it starts to go oh no I've seen this before and it was awful now I have to sit through it again um but and because you just kind of forget like I think like I don't remember a lot of performances really but but I suppose you do because they kind of stock up in your overall bank of memories about what performance is really is it the nature of any fringe festival anywhere in the world that you will get an awful lot of shows that will be really solid some mm-hmm. shows that will be genuinely sublime spectacular mm-hmm. breathtaking and then is it also the case that with fringe that there will be a little bit of rubbish every so often or the things that people will be really ambitious and it'll fall down or is that no i think you have to we have to the most important thing first of all is to make a distinction dublin fringe festival is not like other fringe festivals because it's, it's curated. a curated multidisciplinary yeah. arts festival that runs a year-round program to support artists to develop their their own work which is something that we've been working on over the past few years to establish so we're not like other fringes in that regard we what what you do have to remember is you know eighty percent of the work we present is new. It has never been presented before, um, and we're working with independent artists, but also emerging artists, and sometimes they have very little in terms of resources. Um, and we work to try and create an an infrastructure whereby we're spreading all the resources we have as thinly as possible, so that everybody gets a little slice of the of the pie. Um, and so, yeah, it it is true that. I, I mean, I think it's important to note that, like, you know, when I program the festival um, and when we're all in here looking at, at what's what we've planned, um, not just me, but everyone in this team is convinced that the work we're going to present is going to be excellent. And it wouldn't be in the program if we didn't think it had the potential for true excellence. Um, and sometimes there are projects where straight away you're like, that's going to work. And other times there, there, there are... Um, artists you feel like really deserve a chance and that you're giving them an opportunity to do something and to challenge themselves and to challenge an audience um, and those works I mean everything they wouldn't be in the program if we weren't excited about them then what happens is you know 
And I think the same is true. I mean, you can say this about the Fringe, but you can also say it about the Dublin Theatre Festival. You can say it about any festival. Yeah, in the country. It's like, you know, sometimes with the best will in the world and the most um, talented artists um, um, with great ambition, you know, the work just does not come together. Um, And, you know, I prefer to see people taking risks and failing spectacularly rather than producing kind of like middle of the road mediocrity. So so I think it's important to um, we always were championing excellence. but you know, sometimes things don't come together. Sure. But the, like the support structures you're talking about, and obviously for Rise Productions, I mean, the, the, the implementation of Show in a Bag mm-hmm. was the massive catalyst for us that mm-hmm. got us to you know where we are now. And obviously, with Fight Night, Fight Night wouldn't have happened mm-hmm. without the support structures around Show in a Bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you say, Fringe Lab as an ongoing thing, like that, that kind of thing has been massively influential for an awful lot of theatre artists mm-hmm. out there. Well, the big thing, I mean, I suppose the big thing I wanted to do when I started this job and, and my kind of um what the thing I said about doing was about kind of like recalibrating and 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 re um placing the focus again on on support for new Irish artists because I think the the frustration with the fringe prior to that despite the with the best will in the world all the amazing work that that Jenny was doing and that the team were doing was that um was was just that there 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 wasn't enough support there um, and I think we we decided to take on the fact that that even though we had didn't have the resources that we would do everything we could to to create um to create an environment in which people could actually take artistic risks um so that they wouldn't have to take as many financial risks so um there's the year round work that we're doing, but there's also the fact that now, you know, this, I mean, this festival four years ago was a pay to play festival and, you know, it's just gone completely other way in terms of how we, we work to support the artists we work with and, and create that environment where they're, you know, they're not paying for venue rental, they're not paying for insurance and they have a place to come and work and they know everybody who works here. We're hopefully friendly faces, although <laughs> this time of the year it can be more like slightly harried, shocked, shock and all, and um, fringe office. Um, but I don't know if I've answered your question there. Have I? Yeah, sure. About yeah. like creating, I suppose, creating yeah. structures to support artists. Showing a bag is a huge one, yes. Um, and we've been really lucky with that program because it's about, it's actually what all of these things are about. It's about saying, look at what you're doing over here. Look at what you're doing over here. Look at what you're doing over here. Maybe we can all work together and yes. make it easier and better for, for, um, for artists. So Show in a Bag was about looking at less employment for actors due to cuts, um, uh, less high quality, affordable touring work available to regional venues because of cuts. And if we could make an intervention, if we as a festival could use our resources, if Fishamble could use their resources and ITI could use their resources, come together, it wasn't going to cost us all a huge amount of money because it would just mean doing what we do with a little bit more time, care and attention. Yeah. Um, of course, that project, I mean, the really, it, it all hinges on Gavin Costick um, and uh, his amazing talent and reserves of energy um, and enthusiasm. And we kind of all rode in behind him on that. And it's been really successful. I mean, for you, um, like for Sonia, like um, I think as well with that project, the thing we've learned is that the more that people put into it, the more they get out of it. But I think, I mean, every single show we've done has toured, through Shonabag has toured in some uh, yeah. way. Um, and they're like the big kind of really successful ones, but every single participant has had a further opportunity to show their work. Yeah, it has done what so, it said to do, which is that the shows would have a life outside of the yeah. fringe one, which is an amazing Yeah, team. And this year we have a really exciting lineup yeah. of, of, of show in the bags as well. So I'd encourage people, and they're all running for much longer as well. So I'd encourage people to come yeah. and see them in, in Beauties. Even with those supports and, and like you say, moving away from the pay to play model, is it still an unfortunate or uncomfortable reality that with fringe work like this, it's almost impossible to, to either cover costs or make a few bob out of it. And is that just the nature of the business that there is an element of artists subsidizing from the bottom up? Or is there any way around um, that? Well, the, the fact of the matter is, is, well, it doesn't matter whether it's in the fridge or not. Like, I mean, artists do it all day, every day, all yeah. of the time. And hopefully what we're doing with um, the fringe is that we're actually making it easier for people. Yeah. But I would, I, you know, I need to say, like, I mean, artists, 
need subsidy to make work and to get on the on the ladder of making subsidy you have you have to make a decision whether you're going to make it anyway or and, and actually this is increasingly a problem not just for emerging artists but independent artists where it's like do we do the show that we really want to do or do we wait until we get the funding for it yeah. and increasingly people are making the decision to go ahead and all i can say is that we we would hope to pr- create an environment whereby they are supported in doing that um, and I think it is, hopefully now, I mean, I know it is cheaper to make your work in the fringe than it is by just putting it on another time. And hopefully we can, we've, you know, we, we corral a very large audience in and around the festival as well, which makes that easier. But do I think that it's okay that artists are making work and not being paid for it? No, I don't think that's okay. I think that's awful. I think it's shocking. Um, um, all I can say to that is that we're doing our best all the time to try and make the conditions easier um, and better. Um, and to create as much attention around the work as possible so that um, hopefully next time around people um, will get the, the support that they deserve. So look, there's an amazing lineup for this year's Fringe Festival. It's such a wide and diverse set of shows and experiences mm-hmm. for people to go there. What's your advice to either hardened theatre goers or, mm. or absolute newcomers? Is it to go and buy five different tickets to five different shows completely out of your comfort zone? Is it to go for some of the big heavy hitters? What, what would yeah. be your advice to someone out there to go and just, what, what, should, what tickets should they go and buy in general? Um, what should their experience be? We, through our website we, and through our app, you know, we, we let people search by genre or like, you know, like if they're looking for something, like we, we have, you know, if they're looking for like a daring comedy, if they type in like, you know, they'll get a big list of things so that they can kind of curate their own experience in that way. But I would say, you know, do go and see somebody you know and love or something that you're excited about. Take a risk as well. And I'd also say just, you know, have a look through the programme, through the printed brochure and see what jumps out at you. I mean, in terms of knowing what's doing well, it's good to keep an eye on Twitter and an eye on Facebook. Um, and also to read reviews. But, you know, bear in mind as well that what the Irish Times think is not what the Irish Theatre Magazine will think, is yes. not what entertainment.ie or the journal.ie will think. And hopefully within there, you'll, you'll realise that they're all one opinion and that you might come to your own as well. But I think that can be a useful guide. Like if something is getting four and five star reviews across the board, I think it's safe to say it's a really good show. Um, and, and just, I, I would say, go into the box office. Our box office staff are deadly and they're, they see a lot of shows and they're really good at giving recommendations. Um and talk to people, you know, in the queue as you're going in to see one show. I think it's good as well to, to realise that towards the end of this week and the end of next week, shows for tickets for shows that are doing well will be gone. So I please book early. Um, it's my, my constant plea and people don't. And then they're ringing me going, I need to get in to see the show. And I'm like, you should have booked a month ago when I told you to. Excellent. I love it. It's really exciting. I'm, I'm very excited about the festival. To finish up, in a few short words, in five or ten years' time, would you like to still be at the cutting edge of the Fringe Festival here? Or by its nature, is that something that demands a turnover in you know energy and vision and at that stage is it straight to the Abbey Theatre for you or oh, absolutely well I would say absolutely not I will definitely not be at the Dublin Th- Dublin Fridge Festival in um in the next five years um I probably you know I'm coming I'm done four years now so I'm kind of getting towards the end of my um time here um and that's the way it should be because I think it needs to be invigorated all the time and somebody else needs to come in with a new vision and um take the festival in a new direction and I really look forward to that um I don't know what I'll be doing I'm c- currently planning a, a long holiday in Thailand <laughs> in November which will be fully deserved as, it has to be that's said. about as far away as I can think so I don't know I love it listen Russia thank you so much for your time I know how hectic the time this is for you absolute joy to have you on the podcast thank you so there you have it the wonderful Russia Go and so delighted to have her on the podcast and so delighted that she was able to take time out of what is an insane schedule at this time of year uh, to come and talk to us and, and give us an insight into herself her life her career and also to the festival that's ongoing at the moment uh, and look all I can do is encourage you to get out there and uh, and explore the Fringe Festival take a chance on stuff you wouldn't normally go and see uh, because you know there are always absolute little gems out there I mean the amount of Fringe shows I've seen over the years where you go in and you're kind of there because you have to or you know a friend of a 
friend who's involved with something and you kind of have to go and support and suddenly you're blown away by these amazing performances um you know we we here at rice productions have a huge amount of time for the fringe uh, it's it's where we started off with fight night and obviously things have grown from there but it was a, a wonderful chance for us to kind of get out there and make our mark on on dublin theater and on irish theater so we're, we're eternally grateful for it and uh, get out there and support it it's a wonderful and a beautiful thing so look let's get to our usual weekly roundup of what is going on around the country uh, as we look to dublin uh, a theater upstairs where we will of course be bringing fight night next month uh, they have unlucky for some which is two new short plays by gerard lee which i'm massively excited about i should be getting to catch that asap um also to the viking theater where we'll also be bringing fight night next month uh, they have my mother said i never should and that will be followed by down by the river starring the brilliant michael bates which had been at theater upstairs uh, last week or the week before the gate is continuing with the final few weeks of a woman of no importance with such an incredible cast there particular of amazing actresses there at the moment um, if you haven't got in to see that yet make it your business to get in and catch that um, Bewley's Cafe Theatre still has Village Wooing but it has moved from the lunchtime slot it had been playing in into the dinner slot go and check that out with the brilliant Peter Gaynor there the Abbey Theatre is also finishing up its run of the Play on the Stars do go and catch that uh, if you get a chance uh, the great Sean O'Casey classic there such a wonderful wonderful piece of theatre what an amazing piece of writing uh, and of course taking over Dublin at the moment is the entire Fringe Festival um, far too many shows there to mention by name and if I mention one someone else will lynch me for not mentioning them so go and get all the details at fringefest.com go and take a chance you won't be disappointed um, as we move around the country heading down south uh, to Cork the Everyman has Druid Murphy which of course is worth catching um, and also a full programme as usual over at Cork Arts Theatre check them out at corkartstheatre.com um, in Galway as we head out west uh, the Town Hall has Gorilla Days in Ireland um, that touring production that's on the road at the moment and going in after that will be the touring production of Tuesdays with Murray, which has been so successful over the last while uh, kind of taken over the whole country at this stage and then moving north up to Belfast with the uh, exquisite Lyric Theatre which if you haven't had a chance to go to Belfast and catch that yet man you've got to get up there what a beautifully designed building what a great place to make theatre and of course talk about a great place to make theatre get great people in great plays up there Conal Morrison's production of Playboy the Western World is on there at the moment I can't wait to head up north and catch that that is going to be absolutely awesome so look that is us for this week that is episode 45 in the books Jesus who'd have thought it all those months ago we'd still be here we will of course be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers but this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast for Angus Og McAnally I'm still Angus Og McAnally we'll see you next week <laughs> <laughs>